0: So I, I just, you know, if, if you were thinking about like, well, Bill, you went from Honeywell and JCI and, and then now you went to insulation. Well, yeah. I don't really think I do insulation. I actually have a solution for carbon neutrality. Yeah. So that's the way I think about it. And I'm going to build a mission and a vision around that to be that segment of marketing I'm going to look for. So to me, that's what is important to me. I believe that. And so if you, you know, to me, as you're an entrepreneur, you really have to think about the market. Mm-hmm. You want to serve, and I always used to say, think customer back. Yeah. use the end customer, and will you can you serve that customer and add value to that customer? And I think that would be, as a business owner or, or a business builder, that's the extreme, that's the most important thing.
1: Welcome Uh, really excited uh, to be bringing Bill McGinnis um, on the podcast. Uh, Bailey McMullen, one of our uh, local operators, uh, uh, cleaned Bill's windows, Bill's family's windows uh, in central Toronto and just asked, you know, am I still involved? And, and Bill worked with us for a couple of years uh, out of the University of Western Ontario and Wilfrid Laurier, worked in Waterloo and just had an incredible career. He, uh, uh, after an MBA, worked at Honeywell, worked worked into the uh, being the president of Honeywell Canada, then um, president of Johnson Controls, uh, going through a huge transformation, and he described that on the podcast. And then just recently, with some private equity uh, people buying a, a company called Great Northern Insulation, is the CEO of this uh, insulation organization that now has a Way greater mission about the environment and about um, not using fiberglass, but using hemp and uh, being uh, more sustainable and more environmentally friendly. Um, well, not just more, just period, you know, just uh, using, using hemp, which is just so much more uh, helpful for our environment. So we just dug into all sorts of things. Really, really, really powerful podcast. So excited that he's also going to be speaking to our operators this coming week. So we are busy right now, really starting to focus and turn our focus on 2022 and recruiting and and enrolling all sorts of amazing young leaders in our program. So if you know any young leaders who are really looking to just have a huge future, have, you know, sort of have the type of career that Bill's had or make an enormous difference in the world, please send them our way. You could send them to studentworks.com. You could share this podcast. You could send me an email at cthompson at studentworks.com, but we'd love to hear about them and we'd love to tell them about our program and the impact that we've had on on so many students. Thanks so much. Have yourself an unbelievable day. Bill, really excited about you joining us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem, Chris. (laughs) Okay, so... Tell me what you were like before our program, thinking back to, you know, l- later years of high school before, oh, wow. you, you know, think, thinking back then, who was Bill?
0: I was really always in, aspiring to do something entrepreneurial. Okay. I uh, grew up in a family business, immigrant, Greek immigrant kid. And uh, we worked, we worked a lot. And uh, it was kind of funny. So we worked a lot. My mom always said to me, you got to go find a corporate job. And I just didn't think that was right for me. Right. So I actually thought this was a good mix because you guys had this corporate structure in place. Yeah. Not corporate, but you know, yep. a structure yes. in place that gave you the ability to know how to do stuff. And so that was something that I really really appreciated because I, you know, starting from scratch was just too hard. Although I, I thought I had that entrepreneurial thing that I wanted to do for my family. So so for me that's what brought me here and I thought you know, I met a couple of folks, I met yourself, I think I met, I can't, you asked me this, who who did I meet, but I can't remember. Right. But I met some other fellows in your team, uh, and they were, uh, uh, I was impressed. It was very impressive, and I thought I would learn a lot. So that's kind of what drove me to it in my, after my first year of university, that I thought this was an opportunity to to really take a shot at a structured approach to being an entrepreneur. So that's kind of the way I felt
1: about it. Awesome, awesome. And so, so, what do you still rely on from the program or lessons learned from the program and, you know, your, your long career? It's kind of funny. Cause you learn, I learned it working
0: with you guys. And then obviously multiple other projects that I was on before is just um, fail fast. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not fast. sure. I don't like the failing, but I like to fail fast. So, so actually just getting stuff done. I think yes. there's a lot of always reviewing, analyzing, thinking about, What are you gonna do? And I thought that it was just significantly more valuable for me to just do it. Yeah. And then learn from the do and be able to pivot fast. Yeah. And uh, I learned that a lot at at Student Painters. It was called Student Painters Then. I know it's student work, but yes. Um at Student Painters, I learned a lot around that because um I was in a bit of a new market as well. So I wasn't in London, my hometown, I was in Kitchener Waterloo, and it wasn't like there was a lot of a lot of people there prior. So I was trying to really learn the market and obviously learn the business. I'd never run a painting company. So it was kind of one of those things where I just take a shot at it and and fail fast. And that's kind of what I learned. And I think I took that in a lot of places. My first job at Honeywell, I remember sitting down with one of my first bosses and him saying, you know what, Bill, it's really, really important for you to analyze all the data because you want to be close to right, but it's even more important to just work on it and get it done. Yeah. So that's kind of one of the things I
1: think I learned through my entire career. You know, I think I think successful people are action oriented. You know, to me, you know, what rules the day act. What rules the day act. Act again, you know, and and then again, obviously, oh, that didn't work. Oh, call them. Oh, hey, you know, we can improve it, you know, but 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 you can't improve it until you do it. And I think so often as well. Well, first of all, I'm not much of an analyzer. So so that it's obviously, you know, I'm I'm a kinesthetic. I just go do but there is something to those ideas in your head that you think are going to work, and then you try them. And go, whoa, that's not working, right? So it's like just act, role play it, right? You right. know, get 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 into action. So I found so- it easier to tweak things that were
0: um, being done than for me to recreate or really build the perfect scenario. And, you know, it's kind of tough because you move from like what we were doing at student painters. Yeah. And then I did another, a few other entrepreneurial things. And I went and did my MBA and in the MBA, you learn, then you go to like a big Honeywell, which was a GE Six Sigma company. And yeah. It was all about, you know, follow the Six Sigma process, but still the most successful folks in that business, oh, they follow the Six Sigma process in parallel, they're always pivoting away and getting things done re- very quickly. So that's, that's kind of the messaging I would have too, is get it done quick. You can tweak. Yeah, As long as you have as long as you have the obviously uh, the support
1: of your leadership, then yes. you can do those things. Yeah. So so why don't we jump to the MBA? So, you know, some entrepreneurial activities, you know, in hindsight, you know, first of all, why did you do an MBA? And then in hindsight, was that a good decision for you, Bill?
0: Oh, it's turned out to be. Yeah, it's turned out to be great. Um, so so I'll tell you, student painters. I did it for two years and I went and ran a lance. I did my own landscaping company. And then I went into the family business. And one okay. of the things that was a bit of an event for us that created my move to do an MBA is, is uh, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing for some businesses, a good thing, but we became unionized and okay. the union structure created us to be very, in, it, it, we were just ineffective because our cost model, our differentiation was about cost modeling and we would be significantly better at cost. Our cost strategy was lower than anybody else because we had a low fixed overhead. And so we became unionized, didn't win win contracts for a couple of years. I still had a good, you know, 40 people working for us running a half decent business, but that was kind of the movement to being an MBA, to do do my MBA. And the only thing I liked about, I went to Wilfrid Laurier for the 12 month integrated program. So I was able to get it done in 12 months because I was, I was such a worker. I just wanted to get back to work. Yeah. And so that was, that was good. And then I got back to, uh, uh, you know, I I think the MBA was great because I learned how to think differently. Yes. I learned how to really analyze things differently. I learned to think it was really a thought. It wasn't that you had to learn a lot about the financials or the balance sheets. You could learn all the, obviously you, need, you did learn all that too, yeah. um, or how to strategize or segmentation. You learned all of that or how to value a company, but I think it was the thinking process. It was about having, you know, building teams, organizing yourself around people that aren't like you, that yeah. are. Aren't like you, so you can get caught with different thoughts and different ideas, and in this collective approach of trying to get to business, uh, to to get to business solutions. So that was really,
1: really a great process for me, for sure. Yeah. And then I guess at Western, just looking at your LinkedIn, you did a Bachelor of Arts in Classical Studies and Political Science. I did a history study, so it's it's like you weren't taught those. No, Uh, you know those basics, those fundamentals, and 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 uh, so so it's great to identify those and say, okay, hey, this is this is now what I need to do for what's next in my career. So tell me about Honeywell. You you know you you spent almost seventeen years. You became a vice president. Why don't you walk us through for our leaders now? Who is Honeywell? What does Honeywell do? And then walk us through that career path. Okay, so Honeywell is so Honeywell now is probably considered the best
0: multi-industrial in the globe uh mm. most valuable anyways has just surpassed ge and united technologies as the the by, by the way the one the we always when we started, when i started honeywell we would always have ge united technologies these companies yes. that we were looking at now they look at honeywell us kind of because i was there for the 17 the big the 17 years were the transformational years yes um, a bit lucky so i was in london ontario was my home I did my MBA, got home, got married, uh, started kind of my life, and then I was just looking for jobs. And Honeywell had just bought a company out of Western Ontario, University of Western Ontario, that was doing software analytics for the chemical business, software analytics around operator training. Right. And it was based in London, and it was basically 50 engineers without a business person. And one of the guys that was in the business, biz- had just he just kind of reached out to somebody that knew me. I was looking for a job, right. and we got connected and that was it. I became the only business analyst for, I was the business analyst for that engineering group to try and build um, what was a software application into basically what you would call cloud today. Okay. So we building a software application, moving to the cloud and my job was being an analyst. How do you do right. it? analytic what segments they should go in, how do you do it? I, you know, the first two years of my career where I was writing slides in some cases for the CEO of Honeywell as he was going on CNBC which was really because we wow. were analyzing, what we were doing is we were really, I was the analyst trying to work on web traffic. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't cloud, we didn't think about cloud then, everything was still on-prem, but it was all about web traffic. And I was, the team was all based in London, Ontario. Uh, and then we were working on web traffic and application service provider, which is what you call cloud software today. And so that was pretty fun. And then um, you get, you, you, you know, we did some projects. I automated a service organization. I put together a like a handheld tool for how our service group was going to work so Honeywell still has trucks on the road uh, not that many anymore but back then they were still a service company and uh, um, now they've become more of an automation uh, an automation company. So they had service they had service trucks on the road so my job was to automate two things automate the tracking of their hours and build a tool build a software application to help them manage the trucks as well as a customer interface so a web interface. Right. So I did that with a bunch of other folks, obviously. And then uh, and then I got moved in. They asked me so full circle because then they asked me they uh, I had a good review and they said all high potentials will have to go back, have to work in the field before they move up. Right. So I took a move package to Edmonton to work basically just to run a small service business out of Edmonton, Alberta, that included Fort McMurray. Which had about 20 technicians, and I was basically running a student painter franchise again. (laughs) I did that. You excelled, I'm sure. (laughs) Yes, I did. From all the learning at Student Painters. So I did that for a couple of years. And it just got then I took over Alberta, then I took over Western Canada. And then I got promoted into the president, the Canadian president, which um, we had a lot. Alberta, if you know, Alberta was a pretty easy place to grow. Then because it was pretty, it was it was very booming, which isn't what it's doing now. But it was right. a great place to run a company, and uh, we had a lot of fun. And then we took that into Canada, grew the Canadian business, and then I went into the U.S. and did a bunch of international
1: jobs. So I, I ran a high growth region. One sec, Bill, why don't why don't we why don't we stop there? One of the things that's that I that I love to sort of look at, you know, we have so many leaders looking and going, how will my career go, or what sort of things can I consider? So how did you look at? needing to move how did you enroll i know you're you're still happily married uh, the, the the you know she, she was she was part of your life back at student painters too you mentioned yeah. so so it's like how did you how did you you know sort of think about that and decide about that etc so i spent two years doing kind of these
0: analyst type jobs in a corporate type setting mm. uh and i when they gave me a shot to go back into the field and go run a business it was an easy decision for me as long as my wife okay. was to follow. Right. And so me being involved in a field or a day to day business activity was what I wanted. Okay. And I really didn't know. I, I got to tell you, I didn't. I didn't know what a big corporation was going to be like at that point. But I felt in my head that, well, first of all, they told me I had to do do a job like this. Right. But I felt in my head that I was going to really enjoy it. Right. Uh, and, and you can take different paths. So a lot of my friends took a totally different path. They took the corporate strategy path, and they worked in large corporations and. You know, you get the yeah, act. You get to present to the board, and and you do different things. Where I was in the field, um, and probably wasn't involved in the stri- high, at those times. I wasn't involved in high level strategy, but I knew in my day to day activity that I would enjoy that. And I was right. The minute I got to Edmonton, I was very clear. I knew what I wanted. I wanted that Canadian
1: president job, and that's all I worked for. I knew exactly right. what I wanted. And, and so, so when the, you talk about Canadian president, it was Canadian president of of Honeywell or the division you were running?
0: Yeah. So I was the senior executive of Honeywell. So I had that kind of the job title because there wasn't any other divisions that were had that type of executive, but I was the Honeywell building solutions president.
1: Okay. Okay. And, and so what sort of a growth trajectory was Honeywell on at that time for, for the business you were running?
0: Yeah. So we were growing, we grew from, so I took it over. We had a thousand people in my organization and the multiple locations across the country. We took it over, I took it over 175 million. We grew up to $300 million in about five years.
1: Wow. That's fantastic. And so, so, and then they recruited you or there was an opportunity in the in into the United States. How, how, when did that happen? How long, how long along the path?
0: Yeah, about five. It was about five years being into the, and I, you know, being five years into the president job, which was a lot of challenges. So we had ERP. We changed ERP systems twice. Um, right. We had a lot of things happen. We were in the middle of. The, we had just the financial crisis didn't hit Canada as hard, right. As the U.S. So we had a, you know, the financial crisis we were going through, which which was a reorganization for us or a pivot to different businesses, which we learned how to do. Uh, it took us about five years, and and there was multiple the the u.s job was so can when you're in canada in a large corporation like that you're kind of a ceiling mostly when you're young if you're older that's different if you're in your if if you're my age now and you're in that job you can stay till you retire when you're young uh high pot you can't really stay so they offered me multiple jobs uh, one in the uk one in switzerland one in dubai my wife didn't want to do any of those jobs so we took the u.s job to go down south and uh we We took it to go transform the u s. sales organization because uh, we had done it in in Canada, which was really successful. So that's what that was my job. And I'll d- just a little bit of a little bit of a learning experience, which was probably one of my biggest challenges in my career. I went to the u s as a Canadian, thinking that I was going to have tons of success. And uh, I actually was was I was in a, in a line to do a to be a president of the of the North American poll, right. and I got passed over for that job because I was really not aware of my surroundings. And it's always okay. something to think about as you, as you grow in the organization, is to really be uh, more of more self aware and aware of what's going on around. Mostly in a big company, right? Uh, we're in Canada. We were all friendly. We were all you know we
1: were all equals. In the U.S., it became very competitive. So that was a, cool. that was a
0: big challenge
1: for me. And so, you know, Bill, going there now with what you know, how would you have responded differently? What, what What did you learn? I would have spent a lot more
0: time listening to the people that were there instead of me coming in and trying to make change uh, too fast in a large place like that, where you know they were still ten times our business. Yes, which is the normal thing where you know. In Can- we thought I was thought I was in Canada running the big business, and I was this you know, everything was, everything was going great. I was in Toronto running Canada. So why can't I go run the U S right. And you don't lose, you lose focus of how many people have spent uh, so much time and effort into doing it there, you know, doing it the way they thought was right. And I needed to listen a little bit more and take a lot more
1: time before we could have put the change in place. And that really affected us. Right. Right. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for for sharing uh, you know, that because that those are the types of lessons. And again, listening, like as a as a you know, one of the most important leadership skills, right? Really sitting, listening, being patient, yeah. you know, et cetera. Well, you know, what is the best way to do it? Right. You know, right. and and uh and and one of the other things I found, because I spent four years working in the United States while doing this with a firm. Is there's it looks the same a lot of times. You know, yeah. if you don't get it, no, it is the, the you know again. There's so many similarities to you know we, in, we Americans and Canadians and you know speak the same language if you're That's English right. and and all that. But it is just so different culturally in many many ways. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a. It's. I think it's in a way. It's.
0: It's the ultimate. It's kind of like I know some people hate saying this. Mostly my Canadian friends that work at. You know, work at big corporations in Canada, but it is it is the show. If you yes. work in the U.S., yes. it is the show. It yeah. really is. You get involved. You're, you know, I was in the corporate headquarters, and you get involved in some sort of innovation. You go talk to the board. Yes. You don't get it as a Canadian. Yeah. Not, not as a field office, and so it was uh, very very challenging. And and the amount of people watching you is also significantly more uh, yeah. in the U.S. So hey, listen. It was a great, I don't think my career would have been the same if I hadn't had that happen to me. So I think it was a great learning experience and uh,
1: I regret some of it, but I also appreciate a lot of it. Right, right. No, that's a, no, I think that's a great, that's, that's a great thing. You know, again, it's, you know, kind of uh, any game that we play, obviously we're both uh, into sports, any game that you play, oh, I I would have loved to have played that better in one. And on the other hand, we know that that's not how it works you lose a lot, you know, and that, you know, and that's okay. And then you, 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 you learn and it helps you play better in the future. Yeah. Right. You know, so, so Honeywell came to an end. What created that or what was next? So the next thing after that failure was I got involved with, uh, um, I don't know
0: if you you guys, like a lot of your folks on the podcast might be too young to remember, but you know, the brick, the brick countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China being the next growth models. So Honeywell had, had created an HDR, Honeywell Growth Regions business, Run it, a, a guy in Toronto used to run it, but he was obviously in China. His name is Shane, and I got involved with the high growth regions and went and ran businesses in Latin America, Turkey, Russia, had a team in India. So I, I, I actually, that failure took me to a different place, Okay, and then I learned how to run, I kind of became a coach and mentor for these yeah. businesses. I went to Rio and taught the Rio team how to run a business, which I had just so much fun doing in Turkey. I went to Istanbul and taught them how to run a business. And then I moved to software. My last job at Honeywell was a business model innovation leader. So I actually ran to help them build, not the software, but I was helping them build the business models around software. And that was fun. But again, traveling all the time. Yes, that's what I was going to ask about. Nine months in Seattle, I spent uh, in that innovation team. My HDR, I was away 10 days in a row and lots and lots of challenges because you have a young family. Yeah, But what came to an end was, I either had to decide I was going to have a career like that for the next 20 years, or I was going to try and find a way to come home. Right. And so um, I had known uh, that JCI, I knew the JCI from the inside in our industry. I knew the JCI Tyco thing was happening. JCI was going to buy Tyco. Um,
1: JCI is Johnson Controls.
0: Johnson, Johnson Controls and Tyco is the company that JCI bought. George Oliver was the CEO At Tyco, and he had a relationship a little bit with Honeywell and some of the the other Honeywell guys. We met, and he asked me to come to be the Honeywell, uh, to be the sorry, the JCI integration leader for the Canadian business. We had a little bit bigger than my Honeywell job in Canada, but so I came in to be the Tyco leader leader first, and then uh, as JCI acquisition happened, we had to integrate 3,000 people into uh,
1: one Canadian organization. Wow. And that's so, kind of what, what what I did for about four years. As an so so it, a, And as president of, of, of Canada for Johnson Controls. So describe what that's like. Like, you know, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: That was really challenging because I came in as the Tyco guy because I was hired by the Tyco guy. And uh, there were so many political things happening because JCI was – Tyco wanted to be more like Honeywell. JCI was kind of th- – you know, they were still old school, uh, multi-industrial. And they had still the old CEO was still there. And George was the Tyco CEO and they were coming together. So we were know, like those integrations. And you had a lot of people, you had a branch structure. Tyco had a regional structure. So we would have like a branch structure, meaning that you have a branch manager at Edmonton and Calgary or Tyco had a general manager running Alberta. And uh, those are all the things we had to go through in integration and a lot more listening and, and trying to understand the right thing to do and how to organize. And uh, we organized, we changed the organization structure in Canada across the board. We put in, we put in, we got, we didn't get rid of the branch managers. We gave them different jobs, Right. but we got rid of, we made general managers. We had general manager in BC, general manager of Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, general manager of Ontario, general manager of Quebec and a Maritimes general manager, which made it a lot easier from us from a structured perspective. And then we had to integrate business units. So that was the other thing. We had four business units. We had an HVAC business unit, a security business unit, and a fire business unit, all different ERP systems, uh, all different back offices. So we had to wow. integrate that as well as a team to be one integrated business. Right. And that that was really the job um, yeah. and grow because you have to take it on and grow. But my focus in those for sure, the first 24 months were about. Getting the team operating and integrated around one sim- one similar management operating structure. So they all knew here's your management operating structure, here's the calendar, here's what we expect to get done. And then really teaching uh, you know, teaching them all about how we want to run the Canadian business. So that's that was the job. And it was right. it was really exciting. So it was right. fun, 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 fun for sure. It's
1: it sounds to me like that experience was you you had taken the failure previously and really learned from it bill yeah oh totally
0: it was yeah. much i was a much different uh leader in learning from my failure going to the u.s to when i came up here mm-hmm. um, i learned a lot that some things take care of themselves you don't have to just change as a leader at that level you don't have to change everything some of the change happens with the team in the team on yep. its own yep. which is really the. if it happens organically it's almost better Yes, Are you just telling people how to do it. The that organic change is actually um, somewhat more sustainable, and so some of that happened organically. Some didn't. We had to obviously. Uh, re- you always in every integration you, re- you remove you remove people, and we did. Right. But I think we kept the talented people, and they're still they're still. I, I'm pretty proud to say they're still operating pretty well
1: in Canada. Right. So you you spend you know four or five years at JCI. What was mm. next? What 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 happened then? So the
0: change really I would have retired at JCR if they kept it the same way, but the challenge they changed, which a lot of Canadian companies are doing. I was a Canadian president and then they changed it to being more like I always I have this joke, they they call you know Canada became like the state of New Hampshire. Yes. So it was yeah. almost like a forgotten, it was almost this forgotten place. We would spend all this time on managing it, organizing it, and then on the on the board calls or on the large calls, we get you know five minutes at the very end. And so I just felt like it was, you know, beginning of the end, there was really no long term strategy that Canada, a Canadian leader was going to have that I wanted to do. So that's why I left and uh, really didn't forecast very well because I left right before the pandemic. And uh, so my goal was really to get into private equity. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of a lot of activity around private equity, but I didn't want to leave. In any way, in a negative scenario with JCI. so I gave them a lot of opportunity, and I closed the year. I closed the fiscal year before I left, and then actually finished uh, the planning for the next year, and then left in the. Uh, they have a September year end, and I left about December thirty first. So I really, right. I really thought that it was a, it was something that I helped build. Right. And reorganize, so I wanted to be there, and it wasn't contentious at all. Yeah, it was a, a very nice exit. And then um, pandemic hit, and there was really not a lot going on. And uh, but I did; I, I started consulting with a family office that owned uh, a few companies, and they were trying to position themselves to sell one of their bit divisions. And it was just serendipitous. I met a PE firm uh, that wanted to buy the insulation business,
1: and uh, we hit it off. And they decided that they wanted to hire me as a CEO. So, so let's worked. go. Let's go back one sec, Bill because this is a really important lesson, I think. Um, So leaving JCI, you know, taking that extra care, taking that extra time, what does that do besides for you? Because it just says who you are, obviously, as a person and a leader, et cetera. But what does it do for, uh, and we get JCI's better off, but what does it do for your career path? What does it do for your future, et cetera?
0: Yeah. I think that's the uh, leaving, like, I think leaving it in a good position uh, for a few things, for me, it felt like it was the right thing to do for my team. Right. Okay. Like I, put, I put these, te- these people in a ro- in roles, I designed all the roles, I put them in the roles. I would feel really bad if I just left Right. and then just, just left them with this management operating structure I built and didn't have it, you know, didn't have it totally integrated with the team. So I felt that was important to me to take care of my team. But I also felt like, you know, Um, I felt like it was for, you know, for me, it's always been an honorable way to do stuff. I left Honeywell in a very honorable way. I I left JCI in an honorable way. And I don't think in the market, if you are the cut and run guy, it's going to be pretty obvious if you do that a couple of times.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the the other thing as well, as I'm, I'm sure as well, you know, something that you recognize is it's just so small. The the you know Canada or U S it's at your leadership level there's you know again there's it's there's it's just so small so so it's like who knows what's next for you right obviously you know you 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 got got bumped into this private equity forum you've joined uh, you know as the CEO of Great Northern Insulation so tell us tell us about that but you know as well just I am sure as well they they pick up the phone and they call all sorts of people because that's what they do before they make that type of investment hiring a CEO. Yeah, no, I think that
0: there's very little, um, yeah, you know what, you could say a lot about me and there was a lot, I I, I made, everyone makes mistakes in their roles, Sure. but I think most of it was that there was, I I always try to do right by the company I was in. Right. And so I did not try and do anything that was untoward. and, And I think that was pretty easy for them to figure out if they called any of my references. One of my closest friends still today is a past SPU leader at Honeywell, and he's been retired for a few years, but we're still very close. So we don't, you know, once you build those relationships, mostly as you're building a career, those are all the people that you, you kind of lean on, they lean on you. And so, so that I think that's extremely important to stay connected, connected and obviously leave um, with your head, head held high. And if it didn't work, Listen, those conversations—if it doesn't work—are are pretty obvious. You should just have those conversations and and yeah. and be a, let your boss be aware of why you're, it's not good for you, yeah. instead of being quiet about it. Because yes. that gives them the opportunity to make the change. Yeah. But then it might give them the—they might not make the change, but at least you'll feel good about asking asking for that and being clear that's what yeah. you want. Um, I think that's uh, for me. That's how my career was. A lot of people do it differently, but that's what
1: I've done. Well, I highly recommend that. So, uh, so, you know, authentic, powerful communication yeah. that just works, Bill. So that's you awesome.
0: And are, you and I might be cut from the same
1: cloth. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and certainly, but, I, but I think the, the one big thing is, you know, one of our, one of our major uh, values is relationships are everything. And that's what you're, that's what you're centered on. And, and, and then, you know, again, there's just, there's all sorts of, you know, great reasons to do it. Meaning, Hey, those people are my friends. Those people are people I can count on. They can count on me and they become uh, mentors or guides or, or, or just, you know, band of, uh, you know, brothers and sisters as we go through this. Right. So, so, so that's the other piece, Uh, no matter what you win in that when you're doing it that way. Hey, one thing, one word of caution too
0: is to to the people listening. Not everyone is your friend. Yes. So be aware of that because there's no benefit in you sharing and opening up with someone that's not has no interest in being uh, as honorable as you are. Because it, it it isn't it isn't a two way. It's a two way. It is two way. It's got to be joint. It's got to be joint. If it's not, then don't spend any time on it. I, I I had a lot of scenarios like that, and I'll tell you if you if you have any doubt. You're you're much better to err on the side of caution, yeah, uh, and 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 give it time than to just jump in. Uh, yeah. But if you do believe and you b- believe it, then I actually think I've always believed in being open and, yeah. and have
1: open conversations. Yeah. Be cautious for sure, and start with trust and yeah. see if it comes back. Always start with trust. Always believe in the other person, and then, like you said, don't just keep <laughs> providing value, providing value, providing value. Nothing's coming back. No, that won't work. And again, it can hurt your career, like you said, in these in these organizations, because it's competitive who gets next. So yeah. tell us about Great Northern and what you're up to there.
0: Yeah, so the acquisition happened in September, and uh, I got instituted as the CEO September 1. And uh, we are an installation company, Ontario-based, about $70 million. We do building, science. like we mostly are trying, we're building envelope, we do building envelope science is what we're trying to say we are. Um, we mostly do insulation work. But we do a lot. We do some. We do some energy saving work. So we we provide um, energy analysis for uh, buildings generally, as well right. as homes. And then we give right. them solutions on how to become uh, more environmentally friendly by helping obviously air leakage. That's our key answer: is air leakage. We have about 300 people in the business. Uh, probably about 150 trucks yeah. that are out blowing insulation or or putting insulation in the walls and uh locations uh ottawa you know about seven locations across across ontario and and gonna grow and, and we're gonna we're gonna grow uh significantly we're trying to grow significantly we'll probably acquire we're working on two acquisitions this year and four or five
1: next year so that's gonna oh be fantastic okay okay and so so obviously as well we're not insulators right like so great northern insulation you you, you know so you're you're looking to get out of the commodity space by pro- providing value. And I know Honeywell actually is a leader around, you know, uh, air efficiency, right? Heat, heat efficiency, et cetera. So I'm sure you're bringing a lot of knowledge into this business. Yeah, we're trying to. We're trying to move away from, it still is called Great Northern
0: Insulation, but you know, stay tuned. There will be <laughs> there will be some changes from the, to the brand and more about being a, a building sciences professional instead of just being an insulator. Insulation will be the, the way we provide energy or provide a, 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 a solution to create an energy savings. But it really will be about our knowledge base and understanding of this industry mm-hmm. and helping lead with better products. Like we just launched a new product last week, which is a hemp product. Mm-hmm. Which will reduce the need for fiberglass insulation in a home, and it's made out of Quebec. We love it. It's a great renewable product. Their their plant is 100% uh, greenhouse gas neutral. Wow. Um, the product is greenhouse gas neutral, uh, and it's a renewable resource. So we we uh, we're going to continue to push products like that as we continue to
1: go. Oh, that's fantastic. So so uh, no, it's 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 really it's really awesome. Again. And I know you've described a little bit before, you know, this is sort of an older business, a lot of older processes, older, older systems. And you're going to do a complete transformation over time to, again, improve improve efficiency and effectiveness.
0: Yep. We're putting in sales. We've launched Salesforce. We're going to do an automated estimating tool. We have about 25 sales reps that really are, you know, traditional sales. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're putting in automated systems to help them get more productive. We have SAP, but it's really like data, it's not really easy to use data. So we're trying to make, we're using Power BI to assist uh, our teams on how to look at the data mm-hmm. and then obviously make it usable from a daily tracker perspective. But there's a lot of transformation. It was an old, it, we used to call it Honeywell Founderitis. Right. Uh, Founder led business that really had had a very little automation or transformation. So we're trying to move from Founderitis to being more of an enterprise level organization.
1: Yeah. And, and obviously that's, that's why these companies get bought because there's a huge economic upturn, you know, private equity comes in higher, amazing management talent like yourself and others. And all of a sudden, you know, there's this enormous growth curve that's going to take place. Yeah. Yeah. We hope so. I mean, not, <laughs> not yet. But... <laughs> Bill, come on. It's ta- taken place. I know it is. And I, and I get it. Obviously it takes time. So, you know, if if uh, someone was considering venturing out into the entrepreneurial world, what advice would you give them? Well, I think there's two things that are really important. Obviously, I would go market
0: back or customer back. I would be less focused on the product. I'd be more yeah. thinking about the market that you're in. So I, I just, you know, if, if you were thinking about like, well, Bill, you went from Honeywell and JCI, and, and then now you went to insulation. Well, I don't really think I do insulation. I actually have a solution for carbon neutrality. Ah. So that's the way I think about it, and I'm going to build a mission and a vision around that to be that segment of market I'm going to look for. So to me, that's what is important to me. I believe that, and so if you you know, to me, as you're an entrepreneur, you really have to think about the market
1: mm-hmm.
0: you want to serve. And I always just say, think customer back. use yeah. the end customer. And will you can you serve that customer and add value to that customer? And I think that would be
1: as a business owner or, or a business builder, that's the extreme that's the most important thing. Well, and what I love about that is, is, you know, and I know leaders listening are just so passionate about the environment. Like, you know, so, so, you know, here, here's another, and, and, uh, you know, this is an environmental company, right? We're making changes. We're going to, we're going to create a better Canada, better world by, by implementing these strategies. So, so then it's easier to recruit team, team members, right? People are passionate about what they're doing. Oh, I I love the mission. I love, I love what we're up to. Right. Right. and and then of course the you know customers love it too so yeah it's just and and that type of company is way more fun to be a builder of yeah right yeah, yeah. i agree
0: yeah. and you know I, I was on a call yes i was on a call uh monday with element fleet and they they run a lot of fleet a lot of fleet management for large companies and on that call it was really a call about electrification of fleet and we're trying to think about how do we electrify our fleet so which is Wonderful. going to be something that we want to do importantly but a te- there's a tesla person on the phone and she didn't once talk about the car she talked about the user experience of you yeah. being a tesla owner yeah it's not yeah. the car it's mobility is a piece of of the answer the solution and how the user experience was when you drive a tesla yeah. and so that's and i know it's a really rich car so so it's not available to everybody but yes. i think if you think about I, I had this this happen to me at honeywell we, had, uh, we hired a Samsung person to be part of our in- innovation team, and uh, he showed me the iPhone, and he said, Bill, we make that iPhone. It's the exact same phone we sell at Samsung. We make 10% margin. Yeah. Apple makes 30 to 40% margin. Yeah. He said, you know why they make so much? I go, yeah, it's the UX. It's because people want to own an Apple phone because of the user experience. Yeah. And I know a lot of people have moved to Samsung phones or, or yeah. Google phones or whatever, but it doesn't matter. If you're in an Apple phone and you're part of that user experience, you're going to stay part of that user experience. The switching costs are really high. Yeah. And so to me
1: that's that's really the business case you got to follow. Yeah. Well, and and Apple, you know, is probably the best company in the world about just building a brand. Oh, I'm an Apple yeah. user. Oh, I'm so connected to this. Oh, uh, the, you know, and, and and I get it. I'm actually a Samsung user, but it's not like I'm really proud of being a Samsung user, right? That is not a brand I'm super connected with. It's just, oh, I'm not in that world. Oh, I, I see how a whole lot of my friends are. Oh, and I see their passion for it right and that's and that's real value for a, for a business is when your customers are passionately connected to you. I so, agree with that. As you went from a university student to now a full-time value creator in the full-time world, what did you have to change about yourself, Bill?
0: Well, I think I mentioned it earlier, my thing that I had to change mostly in my the way I did things is being a better listener. Okay. And really taking more time to listen to problems instead of just coming up with solutions. My doing attitude is still something I do really well, but as you get higher level, you have to be cautious because you can't overdo because that that piece that, you know, I can come in and just say, and you have to give people a chance. So that's the learning piece for me is mostly when you come into this integration job, we've got a lot, this was smaller business than I was used to at JCI or Tyco or Honeywell. I can see the end here, but. I have to be cautious how much I give my team. I have this saying to some of my private equity, uh, my investors, yeah. that I, you know, I, I say to them, hey, I gave this project to my team, but I felt like it was me asking them to fly to mo- the moon. So I have to be very cautious on yes. how much I give them yes. because I can't, I can't, like, I, I would just cause too much, ch- too much challenge yes. in the organization if I just, uh, just did these things, just said, do this thing. Yes. And and, and they're really scared because if they fail, Bill's going to, you know, what's Bill going to think? Yes. So that is the time it takes to really think about change um, in altering the way you change by different organizations. It's not all the same. Yes. There's a few blueprints, but there's not one blueprint that works for every single business scenario. There is change. You have to think you have to be very, very. You have to move, you have to just move around a little bit. You can't just do things the way you did things in the past. You have to listen a little bit more. And at this level, you really, it's significantly more valuable to let it happen organically.
1: Yeah. Well, the other thing as well that just jumps out for me is, is, is again, the value of student painters, student works, it's experience. And then for you now, decades of experience, decades of being in these, you know, are they ready for this? And just, just again, that the reps, the reps matter and, 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 it's just so valuable. Right. And that's, and you can't get it out of the books. I got all sorts of books in my office here, love them, read them. They really provide value, but it's the, it's the reps in the field that matter.
0: So that's a good, so one thing you do get when you get into our age, Chris, is that you get a little more credibility because if you right. do have the, if you have the years of service or the years of experiences or the years of failure, or maybe successes or whatever you yeah. want to call them. Um, you get a little credibility, yeah. and that is something that is extremely hard to build if you don't actually jump in and do stuff. Yeah, so that's a good. That's a good segue because I do believe that if you don't jump in and do stuff, if you're always on the periphery, then you're never going to get that credibility. Or if you yeah. leave before it's done, like when you start something, you start a project, get it done.
1: because yeah.
0: you don't get to check the box unless, it's, in my opinion,
1: you don't check the box unless it's done. Well, people check it out too, Bill, right? And that's partly as well what you, what you did. You finished what you started in in your organizations. Okay, great, this is complete. It's not All going right. where I want. Okay, I'm not going to get bitter, I'm not going to get upset. By the way, I've seen friends of mine do that. And they start kind of misbehaving to sort of, you know, is this going to work to get what they want? Instead of, yeah. look, I get it. Right. Like they're, they're running a business and they don't see what I see. Well, they're on top of me. They, they're more senior. Um, they get to decide. Right. And so, okay, be mature and look for my next spot. Right. And it is. And at the end of the day, it's
0: just a job. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You need need to take it for what it is. Uh, there are things that are always going to be more important than this. So Mm -hmm. if things happen to you and there's failure, you need to move on. And, and, uh, and look for the next thing, and and yeah. keep. Hey, listen, I I think that for me it was always because uh, maybe I had a bit a bit of that in my in my blood that failure kind of drove me to do yeah. different things. Where pe- some people are different than that, failure yeah. uh, they affect people affect fit get fit uh, be are affected differently by failure. Um, it didn't affect me that way. It affected me uh, in a way that I wanted to learn from it. And I, a lot of, there was a lot of pain. So please don't think there no. wasn't pain, there was <laughs> exactly. a lot of pain, but, yeah. but, I, but I dealt with it and moved on.
1: So what, what key habits would, would some of our leaders here uh, listening want to steal from you?
0: So key I don't you to create, some of these things are simple, yeah. um, but I tell you, I still have,
1: I still wake up in the
0: morning and make a list.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Right. sounds
0: crazy but I still make a list yeah and, and hey by the way some of the things aren't done from yesterday's list but it doesn't matter they get moved to the next li- next day's yeah. list but there's a list yeah and I know if it's on a list I get it done and yeah. uh, I track it I actually for me in my role I, I actually build it I call it a management operating structure but for me I have an operating structure like I know like I know the days I, I, I really worry about financial close but I know the days that are important in my month or week, Or the days that are key for me to do to get action oriented with my team and try and get engaged with them. So, like, we're on day 22 of the month. I know it's eight days less, eight days left of production. We just started a daily tracker today. Eight days left. We need to daily track how we're going to end. We our quarter ends. If we fall behind this quarter, we got another more money to make up on the next quarter. So let's start a daily tracker. We do that on a regular basis now, but I kind of, for me and everyone, you gotta learn that as you get there. But for me, there was, I needed a day, one day for me where I focused on orders. I focused yeah. on orders on a Friday. I focused on yeah. operations on a Wednesday, but giving me the days where I had really depth of knowledge because I think you're, or, or, or depth of focus, not knowledge, yes. focus, focus. Yeah. right? So I can focus and there's other days that you don't. Yeah. Here's another thing that's really important. There's a Dave Cody, which is CEO of Honeywell did this already. He called it, I forget what he called it, but there were days like they were just off days. They weren't yes. off days, but they're days where you're not in the middle of the daily tactical business stuff. Yes. You're thinking a little bit outside the box. And so that's something that I do once in a while too. Like I'll do a, yeah. a Friday every, every other week where I have no calls, yes. but I'm actually focused on things that I think will help the business. Yeah. Um, and
1: And that's something that I do too. The, the the strategic co- coach calls those buffer days and in those yeah. days you create new capabilities you, right. you work on your structures you work in, and and what i love is is and you're so right is just focus let's just completely focus and i know bill is is kind enough he's going to be jumping on our our zoom call next week and we were talking about you know it, what it's going to be about our zoom training with all of our operators how do we how do we complete really powerfully and i'm going to be super excited about here's what we're doing this is what i've learned over time but but ultimately what is it focus right just focus right like and and when the leader points at something and is focused on something then just naturally everyone falls in behind and starts oh okay you're right and of course you're enrolling everyone it's not like you're telling everyone you're enrolling okay. everyone of course we want to hit the monthly goal cuz that completes our quarter of course we want to drive to the end of the season because then everyone maximizes their profits all the workers all the all the operators okay. all the district managers so it's it's in alignment and that focus is so powerful
0: yeah. There's another thing I used to use, like I got, you know, some, and you have to really slow down field people sometimes go slow to go fast. Yes. A little best. bit of time, a little bit of time to plan and organize yeah. what you want to do to get more activity is better than just jumping in and trying to figure it out as you go. Not always. Sometimes you are better off because you're learning, but if you know, if you spend a little time to go slow, to go fast, I think it's very important. Yeah. And businesses like this and people like I, I, I really, my leader, I tell my leaders this all the time. They always have these things that you can only do one or the other. And I said, listen, great companies can do competing priorities.
1: Yes. You yes. can't just do
0: one or the other. One of them will say, they'll say to me, Well, I can't get margin and I can't get growth. I said, yes, you can. There's <laughs> absolutely a way to do both. Yeah. So you have to find out how to have competing priorities because great companies can do both.
1: Yes. It's, so that's yeah. really important. I love I love that it's 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 you know people fall into the tyranny of or rather than the genius of and right absolutely you know just you know pointing at that all right Bill so okay final question Bill and I just so appreciate you being being on and and us getting reconnected I can't remember how we got reconnected but thank you LinkedIn is what I think you know so somehow you came across our screen and it's just awesome you guys um,
0: did you you actually did my windows. Oh, is that how? Oh, fantastic. And and one of your leaders, Bailey, was working and I said, oh
1: my gosh, is Chris Thompson still there? She (laughs) says, yeah, he's still the guy. I'm like, so that's it. Bailey. Well done, Bailey. All right. Fantastic. (laughs) So uh, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind?
0: Yeah, I think it's someone that's always so. Some people think differently than I do because like it's different if you're just really a, a a plant manager. If you're really specific on tactical duties, but my a leader of tomorrow is someone that's really, really interested in change, and can really change and move move things around as required. So that's a leader. tomorrow. being not scared of innovation, embracing innovation. We call it digital transformation. You yeah. need to embrace those things instead of saying, "Well, that's not going to work." Well, it might not, but you got to look at it, organize it, and try. I think we're in a place that leader of tomorrow is also someone that's not worried so much about hierarchy. So this thing about the hierarchical thing is almost over. We actually all report to a responsibility or a goal. We don't report, we do obviously report to a person because that's how we're built, but rankless and nameless and being focused on responsibility, um, innovation and change is gonna be significantly important. And obviously, you got to deliver results. Every leader tomorrow, every leader has to. And results are going to change. They're not yeah. just going to be P and L focused like we were used to. Yeah, you and I growing up was all P It's not going to be. It's going to mm-hmm. be environmental, social, and governance. Our ESG scorecard is going to be much, much more important. Yeah. Than it has been, and you know, I, I feel embarrassed on how little I did in my my first 20 years of my career. And I view that as something that's going to transform uh, a
1: lot of people's uh, business uh, goals in the future. That's awesome. And and that's really, uh, you know, I hope, I hope our leaders really get that. Like, you know, again, what changes is people change and then corporations change, right? So leaders like you, and there are other leaders like you who are in corporations who are feeling that same need you know we need to change the environment we need to change against society we need to change how we're operating and and i just i just love it so you know that's 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 awesome thanks for for pointing that out i think that's just a great share great so bill again thanks. thank you very much for cheers. taking time in your busy schedule to to uh, make a huge contribution here good luck everybody thank you for listening okay cheers have a great day bye bye